Good morning, and welcome to Current Radio. It's Wednesday, January 17th. Today, we delve into the insights from four female scientists at the Early Career Crossroads and discuss the gaps in Europe's AI Act that researchers can help fill. Plus, we'll talk about the $2.4 million grant received by science centers to promote STEM education and explore the transition from classroom to nature's lab in creating the next generation of conservationists through science and storytelling. All this coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Each year, the Lindau Nobel Laureate Meeting in Germany brings together early career researchers from around the globe. At the most recent meeting, four female researchers shared their career hopes and challenges. Charlotte, can you tell us more about these women and the common themes they brought up? Absolutely, Diego. These women, hailing from Australia, the United States, and India, shared their experiences in the world of academia. They spoke about dealing with career uncertainty, financial pressures, and the importance of mental health. For instance, Ifra Abdullahi, an autism research fellow in Australia, expressed concern about the turbulence of funding for early career researchers and the lack of support for women in academia, particularly those of color. That's interesting. And what about the other researchers? Piper Rodding, a PhD candidate in the U.S., highlighted the mental health struggles many in academia face, attributing it to the cutthroat culture and lack of job security. Katrell Tamasar, a reproductive biology PhD candidate in Australia, spoke about the leaky pipeline in academia, where there are more PhD graduates than there are academic jobs. She emphasized the need for more guidance on how to translate academic skills into other professions. Lastly, Prakriti Gupta, a pediatric critical care specialist in India, discussed the difficult choices she faces in her career as she finds joy in both clinical work and research but lacks the infrastructure to train as a physician scientist in India. It's clear that these women are dealing with significant challenges. What solutions or changes are they advocating for? They're advocating for a range of changes. Abdullahi calls for more support for women in academia, including equal treatment of mothers and more leadership opportunities. Rodding emphasizes the importance of mental health support and addressing issues like bullying and discrimination. Tamasar suggests broadening the definition of success beyond the conventional academic path and creating more synergy between universities and industry. Gupta, on the other hand, is considering a move to the United States where interdisciplinary training is valued in order to continue her work as a physician scientist. These are complex issues that require systemic changes, and we appreciate Charlotte's insights on these women's experiences and their calls to action. In a similar vein of complexity, the European Commission recently announced its AI Act, aiming to address risks to health, safety, and fundamental rights from the use of artificial intelligence. This act will create new regulatory arrangements across all 27 EU member states and establish a new AI office. Charlotte, can you delve into the implications of this act? Certainly, Diego. The AI Act is a significant step towards regulating AI applications. The AI office, once established, will enforce and supervise rules applicable to AI applications, including those like ChatGPT. The Commission also plans to maintain a strong link with the scientific community, providing an opportunity for researchers to help shape what could be one of the world's most comprehensive set of laws and regulations on AI. That sounds promising, but are there any concerns or potential gaps in the Act? 
Yes, there are. For instance, the Act assumes that most AI carries low to no risk, implying that many everyday AI applications will not need to be submitted for regulation. However, as pointed out by legal scholar Lillian Edwards, there are no reviewable criteria to support these risk classifications. Furthermore, the Act allows AI developers to self-assess products deemed high-risk, which raises concerns about the objectivity and thoroughness of such assessments. It's suggested that an independent third-party verification system would be more appropriate. So, there's a need for more transparency and independence in the regulation process. Absolutely. As Hadrian Pouget and Johan Lauk highlight in an open letter to the future AI office, regulatory independence and transparency from AI providers are crucial. The AI advisory body convened by the UN Secretary General is also urging those working on AI regulation to listen to a diverse range of voices in the process. The EU has a history of drawing on various fields in its lawmaking, and it needs to ensure that it continues to do so in its AI work. It seems like there's a lot to consider as this act moves forward, and we appreciate Charlotte's analysis. On a related note of advancement, North Carolina has awarded $2.4 million to 53 science centers across the state through its Science Museums grant program in a move to advance STEM education. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this initiative? Absolutely, Diego. This grant program, now in its sixth year, aims to enhance science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education, particularly in low-resource communities. The awards range from 14,804 to 75,000, and will be applied to the 2023-2024 fiscal year budgets of these science centers. That's a significant investment in STEM education. Can you share some specifics about the recipients of these grants? Sure, Diego. The Aurora Fossil Museum Foundation and North Carolina Estuarium in Beaufort County, for instance, were each awarded $60,000. The Roanoke Cashy River Center in Bertie County received the maximum grant of $75,000. The Baldhead Island Conservancy in Brunswick County was awarded $27,307, while the Ocean Isle Museum Foundation, which oversees the Museum of Coastal Carolina and Ingram Planetarium, received $39,572. There are many more recipients, all of which are making significant contributions to STEM education in their communities. It's encouraging to see such support for science education. What's the broader impact of this funding, Charlotte? Well, Diego, as D. Reed Wilson, the State Department of Natural and Cultural Resources Secretary, pointed out, science museums and educational centers spark curiosity and foster a love for scientific inquiry. They help cultivate the next generation of innovators and problem solvers. High quality science education is essential to meeting big future challenges. This funding is a significant step towards ensuring that. That's a powerful perspective, and we thank Charlotte for shedding light on this. In a similar vein of inspiring stories, over in Goa, India, two 13-year-old students, Serenella Fernandez and Caden D'Souza, have been inspired to immerse themselves in the conservation of their region's rich biodiversity. This came after their participation in a workshop titled Science and Storytelling in Nature's Lab, led by scientist Snigda Segal. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this workshop and the impact it had on these young students? Certainly, Diego. The workshop was a part of the Greener Side Campaign, an initiative by Echoes of Earth, which is known as India's Greenest Festival. The campaign aims to raise awareness about the importance of conserving the biodiversity of the Western Ghats, a region known for its rich and unique ecosystems. 
the students were exposed to scientific experiments with plant pigments, nature walks, and storytelling sessions focused on different types of leaves. Both Fernandez and D'Souza felt that the workshop not only made them more observant of nature's beauty, but also gave them a sense of direction in terms of their career interests. It's interesting to see how this hands-on approach to learning about nature can inspire young people. What's the broader context here? Why is this kind of education so important? Well, Diego, we're currently in the midst of what many scientists are calling the sixth mass extinction, largely due to human activity. Biodiversity is crucial for maintaining balanced ecosystems and aiding evolution, but it's rapidly being lost. Segal's workshop is an example of the kind of education that can foster a scientific and conservationist mindset in young people, who are often more receptive to learning about the environment. As Segal puts it, appreciation entails automatic protection. That's a powerful statement, and it seems that others involved in the workshop share Segal's sentiment. Absolutely, Diego. Arcanja Fernandez, a faculty member of Chubby Cheeks Spring Valley High School, who accompanied the students, emphasized the importance of practical and observational learning. Dr. Pradip V. Sarmokadam, a member secretary of the Goa State Biodiversity Board, who also aided in educating the children, believes that armed with the right information, children can become the saviors of the planet. It's heartening to hear about such initiatives, and we thank Charlotte for sharing this story. As we wrap up our stories for today, we appreciate you tuning into Current Radio and look forward to bringing you more updates tomorrow.